I get really excited about the thought of loading up my motorcycle with my camping gear and heading off for a weekend, few days, few months. It's all super exciting. There's something about that, the feeling of being self-sufficient, I think, that, that is so intriguing. You fill up your fuel tank and away you go. Maybe some auxiliary tanks, you don't have to go to, to a gas station as often. You find yourself a great place to camp after a day's ride, set up your tent, maybe have a fire. There's just something so special about it. And then in the morning, when you wake up and you unzip your tent door, you're already in the motorcycle adventure. I mean, it starts from the moment you open your eyes. To me, that's, that's really special. But of course, motorcycle camping is nothing like car camping. Car camping's easy. You throw everything into the car and then you head off and go camping. It's all in there. You can even sleep in the car if you really mess things up. But motorcycle camping, that's more like backpacking. You got to make sure you have the right gear, the correct amount of gear, and importantly, not too much gear. And that balance of having the right gear, the right amount of gear, and not too much gear, that's really difficult. And it's something that we all struggle with. Choosing the right gear can be daunting. Choosing what to leave home and what to take can also be daunting. I think it's driven by our fear of, of missing something. You know, you're going to pack it and you think, well, what if I need this? That's difficult to get over. So what we decided to do was talk with some camping experts to find out what they take with them and what they've learned over the years of camping from motorcycles. Now, we consider a motorcycle camping expert to be someone who has spent a lot of time camping from their motorcycles continuously. So they're doing it day after day, week after week, year after year. Because when you do it that much, you learn the nuances, you learn things that work and things that don't work, especially if you've gone through the seasons. There's just so much knowledge that's gained by doing that. And in this case, the riders that we're talking to, all of them have been camping for motorcycles for over a decade. So this is serious camping experience. Another thing that we end up talking about is why riders camp. Is it just to save money or is there another reason or other reasons they camp? And that's sort of an interesting part of the conversation that comes into it. We have four expert motorcycle campers for this topic. But they all have such great stories, great tips, ideas, and rituals that what we've done is we've decided to split this into two episodes. This was going to be just one, but it's going to be two now. So today we're going to hear from Jess and Greg Stone, the Go Roughly folk that have been riding around the world for over a decade with a dog camping from their motorcycle. And by the way, what a story they have. Before we get to the camping stuff, we're going to do a little catch up with them. What a story. You got to hear this. As well, we have Mignus and Elsa B. Ulivir from Peaky Peaky Overland with over a decade of continuous motorcycle camping experience, day after day, week after week. So this is how it's going to work. This week, we have Mignus and Elsa B. and Jess and Greg. Next week, we're going to have our Rider Skills Program. The following week, we're going to get back into this with Spencer Conway from African Motorcycle Diaries. Spencer has about 14 years of continuous motorcycle camping experience, and he's still going. And then we have Simon and Lisa Thomas from To Ride the World. They spent 17 years riding motorcycles and camping around the globe. Over these two episodes, you're going to hear some solid gear advice, great tips. This is a wealth of information from riders that have all spent over a decade and more riding and camping continuously, or at least as continuous as anyone can do. I doubt that there has ever been such a collated package of motorcycle camping information from riders with the depth of experience that these riders offer. So we're calling it Motorcycle Camping Secrets from World Travelers. 
I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Sam Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear, greenchiliadv.com. Hi, I'm Jess. I'm from Canada, and uh, I'm currently riding around the world, or was riding around the world, with my German Shepherd. I'm Greg, also from Go Roughly, and I was basically the gear mule while Jess and our German Shepherd Moxie were riding around the world. Jess and Greg, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks. Good to be here. (laughs) Now that you were on a trip, the, the last I think we talked, you guys are on a trip going around the world. Can you just give a sort of a, a brief synopsis of that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so basically, real life really kind of invaded in our you know adventure of a lifetime in a, a big way. Um, I it started basically by me getting uh, clobbered by a chicken bus on the Pan American Highway in Guatemala. Uh, while yeah. Um, wait, wait, hang on. No, we got to hear about this. What do you mean clobbered by it? Like you actually had contact with a chicken bus. I, my bike did. Fortunately, I personally did not. Okay. Set this up. Where, where let's, let's talk about this. Set this up. What happened? Where are you and, and, and set the scene. So, um, the last, I think we spoke to you, um, we were on our way South after reaching the Arctic ocean, you know, Jess is riding with our German shepherd on the back. Um, and, uh, and so we were going to do top to bottom, right? Tip to tip. And so we were, we were going through Guatemala. Uh, we had spent some time in Mexico. We're going through Guatemala. Guatemala is where, you know, our, our brand roughly where we do the, the ethical outdoor dog gear and the canine moto cockpit motorcycle dog carrier. That's where we're, uh, where we do our manufacturing and everything. So mm-hmm. we were cruising in about what, an hour, hour and a half away from. Yeah. On day two of entering Guatemala from mm-hmm. Mexico. So, you know, same old sort of local stretch that we'd done for the last six, seven years. Uh, kind of on that home stretch, if you will, um, to to visit our team, you know, just kind of do an on the ground check in after a year of being away. We're going to spend a couple weeks and then continue right along. Um, I I guess uh, the scene was essentially uh, we were you know going through those high speed twisties of the Pan American in, in Guatemala, and uh, I'm behind Jess, and kind of all of a sudden. Uh, chicken bus, as they do, kind of came out from behind us on in a, a left uh, lane. Yeah, in a, in a blind, you know, uh, uh, turn. And uh, I said to Jess... Um, on the communicators, he said, uh, he's a, the chicken bus seems like he want, he's coming really fast. You should get over to the right lane. So I said, okay. So I used term- more colorful language than that. 
<laughs> that sounds very calm, you know, yes. like somebody who works for 911. <laughs> very yes. Disney Plus or something. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I planned that I was going to come around that turn and I was going to make my way into the right lane. But I guess the chicken bus thought that I was going too slow and decided to try and pass me on the right lane in the right lane and didn't see Greg, who was who had already moved over to the right lane. So he clipped Greg as he was trying to pass me. And now Jess uses the word clip. <laughs> well, I didn't see it happen. I, I was already that, around the corner that it felt like a clip, like a graze. <laughs> it does sound very benign, doesn't it? Just, yeah. uh, just, just clip me as you went by. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's total destruction. But you're talking clip with the back of the bus, right? Basically, the side of the bus. Um, well, to be, out. to be honest, I mean, I kind of blacked out, so I, I, I couldn't say where specifically hit me. But I he, heard Greg on the on the communicator say, "What the?" And then there was silence. Um, and so I, I pulled over right away and I had seen, I saw the bus, he pulled over to the right. I did a U-turn on the Pan American and I start riding back and all I see is Greg's bike is on the side. Uh, I don't see Greg right away. I'm yelling his name over the communicator. He's not responding. And as I pull up, I see him and he is laying face up in the cement ditch on the side of the highway. Oh man. That now somehow stressful. Oh yeah. yeah. Somehow and and actually somehow Jess happened to be recording at that time. So I mean she like captured it uh, beautifully both her and sort of Moxie reacting to this uh, situation. It was it was pretty yeah, tough to read listening to it back like I'm hearing myself yell for Greg in this way of like he he looks dead. Um, but then as I get closer, I see him start to move a little bit and then I start yelling at him, don't move, don't move. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cause I didn't want him, if he had a spinal injury or had any issues, I wanted him to just lay still. And so I was able to find a way to like get off my bike. Um, and as, as I got off my bike, I went right into business mode. Like I needed to see what was wrong with him. I knew that he was, he was alive. I just didn't know what injuries he had. So I wanted to get to him as soon as possible so that he didn't flail around or do anything that could potentially aggravate any, if he had a spinal injury. But I think it's from all the years working in international development and conflict zones and post-conflict. Um, just feeling uh, confident in those situations. So I, I went right to business. I went and I saw him laying there. He wanted to get his helmet off. So this was the first time I ever had to use the emergency poles of the pads of the helmet to slide the helmet off. So I mm. did that on his next helmet. It was it worked really well. Um, and he he was laying there. And then that's when he started to ask, what happened, Jess? What happened? Um, and then Within like two minutes, the Red Cross, um, the Guatemalan Red Cross came. That, those, that's sort of like their first responders. They came. The police came within like three minutes. Um, and we happened to be in an area that um, is known for having like, there's a conflict between the two communities. So there's always a pretty heavy police presence around. Um, mm -hmm. So they were there on scene. Um, they called the, the ambulance to come. Meanwhile, the first aid, uh, the first Red Cross uh, responders were there and checking him out. And did the chicken bus stop? Okay, so he stopped uh, when I when I was doing my U-turn, he had pulled to the side. Um, I passed him and I see myself in the video. I like swung my hand up at him like, what did you do? Like, I don't remember what no, I said. More, more choice <laughs> words than that. Uh, again. But I imagine it had something to do with him. Um, and as I passed him, he was there. I couldn't really see him, uh, who he was. And then as I stopped within, 
when when I got down, I still saw him there um, as I was checking on Greg. But the next second that I looked up, he was gone. He took off. Wow. How do they handle that in Guatemala? Well, the the police took the information about a dozen times. um, But we I don't think we were really sort of holding out any particular hope. Um, And there again, like it, there was nothing malicious about what happened. It was a, a standard sort of traffic accident and a, a motorcycle not being seen. And the the chicken buses are on an incredibly like tight schedule of, you know, the more people they can pack in, the more quickly they can do their runs, the more money they make. So the incentives are sort of all, all wrong for uh, safety and... <laughs> yeah, but these, these, so these chicken buses are basically like, um, I guess like an American school bus that are, that have been repurposed to be public transit. So it's like this big school bus. Painted like a Chinese dragon for yeah. one of the festivals or something yeah. with the lights and the colors and everything. But they're all part of like a, there is some sort of, not a, a union per se, but they're part of a group, a uh, community where I'm sure that they do have some insurance or something, but it's, it's sort of, iffy in that. Well, it's just a human obligation, isn't it? I mean, you just plowed somebody off the road, condition unknown, (laughs) and you're going to say, well, you know, I'd love to stay, but I got a schedule to keep here. I got to go. Yeah. I mean, in in all ways, you're right. It just, uh, I guess in a certain sense, it It didn't didn't surprise surprise us terribly. Yeah. Wow. But, but Greg's talking, so he was okay. Sort of. Yeah. So, I mean, um, Sort of in a nutshell, uh, it was what that my right hand, my throttle hand, um, had a, what two two bones that were pretty much smashed. The pinky and the ring finger bones, like below them in the hand. Um, so I obviously like hit something and it just kind of smashed those hands. So or those fingers, mm. those bones below the fingers, uh, and then the wrist as well, and a little bit of muscle was exposed. So um, they stabilized me at the scene. Uh, you know put me in the ambulance. I was very, I think, in retrospect, proud of myself. Like I didn't need the stretcher or gurney or anything. Yeah, like I, just, right. I sat and <laughs> yeah. take small victories from, <laughs> from these calamities. Uh, and then they took me, so they took me to the Solo Law Hospital, which is sort of the, almost you could say like the, the state hospital or, or provincial hospital. Yeah, it's public. Um, they wanted, as Jess was saying, they wanted to take me to the uh, Nawala Hospital which was a smaller, it's a smaller hospital. And because of the conflict between the, in this region, it would have been a perfect choice if I had a gunshot wound. <laughs> they have <laughs> loads of experience. <laughs> but for like a delicate sort of hand bone issue, you know, better to, to go to Solola. So they, they patched me up there, uh, you know, stabilized it and x-rayed it, saw what was going on and were, basically said, um, you know, we probably would put hardware in and you'd have to wait a couple of days if we were going to do it here. And we were like, no, I don't think we're going to do it here. <laughs> so, so the next day we, uh, we went to Guatemala City. I mean, my hand at that point was like three times the normal size, right? And, you know, he said, well, we're probably going to, you know, put plates in. If we put plates in, like you'll be able to use it that afternoon and, you know, recovery's quick. Um, so went in and the next day I had five pins like sticking out <laughs> in every direction. Sticking um, out. Oh yeah. So it's, this is a hand, yeah. thing, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what he found is that basically when he sort of opened it up and went in there, he, he kind of, again, uh, he said, oh my, and, and I'm paraphrasing <laughs> the language, <laughs> um, uh, that 
really like the bone in the x-ray, I guess, didn't look as bad, but it was sort of all shattered. So it was, uh, you know, together, but not together. Uh, and so there was nothing really to put screws in. He had to realign it and then put the pins in temporarily to hold it in place. Uh, and that was sort of a five-week um, process. Yeah, and the donor bone, they had to, because the muscle was exposed in his wrist, um, They, so I guess they sort of like re repositioned the muscle and then had to put a little bit of donor bone to fill in that gap. Hmm, where did they get the donor bone? From the United States, I was told quite without asking. Did come it come on. from the States? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I thought so when you said donor bone, I thought they were going to take that from you, from a different part of you. But oh, so no. You get somebody um, else's bone donated for you. Yes. Yeah. It's, he described it like they sort of, I want to say like they, they boil it down. <laughs> That's clearly not <laughs> in any way the technical term, but it's essentially like some sort of essence of the bone that is universally sort of compatible. It's like a filler, uh, mm. you know. Yeah, you don't <laughs> and, make it sound it, very technical here. It's I, I'm picturing something different as a hospital. I picture the cauldron, you know, and the guy stirring it over the fire and yeah. Yeah, it's just about ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Macbeth walks in and says, oh my. <laughs> um, but, you know, some things you want to learn all about and some things I guess you're just kind of happy to be told like, the bones have been repositioned. Everything is healing well. And, you know, you don't go too far uh, beyond that, I suppose. So your hand, you, you've got bark busters on your bike and you've got all the protection, correct? Yeah, it's, it's either um, from being ejected forward because that's where I blacked out was sort of as I was being ejected. So I don't know when the impact actually happened, whether it was something uh, on the handlebars or something as I was flying forward or, you know, landing in the ditch uh, on the side of the, you know, the highway there, uh, you know, clearly I, I smashed it. And, and it was like somehow just below the knuckles of the gloves that, you know, just found that sweet spot. And there you go. Hmm. Wow. But lucky. I mean, really, you know, lucky. You're, you're oh, okay. Yeah. Huge. I mean, I'm, yeah, the only other thing he had was a little bit of road rush where his jacket um, rode up a little bit, but that was it. Like uh, his gear protected him a hundred percent. The helmet had like a nice Huge smash in the, in the back. So it, it absolutely did its job. Wow. So you had eight weeks to, to get back healed again. So, yeah. So, so Greg's meanwhile, actually, yeah, so um, Greg's, so we had already planned that Moxie was going to go in for knee surgery. Um, so she, um, she's six years old. Um, she, uh, when we were in Baja on our way down, we think that she, when she was just running beside me in the sand in Baja, we think that she tore her, her tendon in her knee. I see. No, no, let me just interrupt here. Moxie is the full-size German shepherd that rides in the back of your motorcycle has for some time. I, I believe you, you rescued her from somewhere. We got her in Guatemala, uh, when we right. were living in Guatemala soon after we arrived there. And so she... She learned to ride with me when she was about a year and a half, and uh, we've been riding together ever since. Right. And anybody who's followed you guys on social media has seen like incredible pictures of, of the dog sitting on the back of the bike, um, I believe with goggles on too. She sure does. She sure mm -hmm. has her rec specs on. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so we had, we had done the trip all the way up to the Arctic Ocean. We were on our way down to the Antarctic. And so as we were passing through Baja, we noticed that she was limping a little bit. So uh, what what I was doing was lifting her in and out of the cockpit so she wasn't leaping up anymore. 
um, because I wanted to sort of preserve. Uh, we thought maybe it was a pulled muscle. So I was like, okay, this could, we'll give it a little bit of time and see what happens. Um, but it, it didn't, it, it sort of uh, got a little bit better at one point, um, but then it reverted back again. So I, I brought her into the vet. They did uh, all of the tests on her and they determined that she had a tear in both of her knees and between both of her knees um, uh, have the TPLO surgery is what they call it, where they basically put in a plate uh, in place of that, that uh, tendon. So uh, I had her, because I was going back to the hospital to see Greg, I had them board Moxie for a few days while this was going on. And so after Greg came out, he was in the hospital for another day or two. And then I was able to bring him home. Um, we brought Moxie um, back with us uh, to, the, to the Airbnb we were staying at. And then she was scheduled for surgery. So she went in for surgery um, and everything was fine. Surgery went really well. Um, they were really uh, pleased with the progress. And then within five days, um, she, we got a call from our vet saying that um, she wasn't doing so well. She had been vomiting and there was some blood in her diarrhea, all of that, and uh, said that we should come down and see her. But we had gone back to our town in Panahachel where we were staying and we were three, three and a half hours away from the city where she was. Um, and we Meanwhile, there is a road blockage from a national protest. <laughs> so we can't get out until, you know, that afternoon, evening, we're stuck in traffic. And and then suddenly get a call that she's taken a terrible turn for the worse. While we were in this public well, uh, chicken bus or a public yeah. uh, micro bus. Yeah. yeah. And uh, well. and then an hour later, as we're still about an hour out, we get another call that uh, that she's passed. Oh, uh, man. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So it That's turns out horrible. that. Yeah. She it, had we, a reaction to this medication, a normal medication. Anti-inflammatory anti medication. Um, and it just. Um, it might have caused an ulcer, um, and she she just bled out. So oh, it rains, pours, and other things, and hails. Yeah, that is devastating. That mm -hmm. um, yeah, wow, I'm really sorry for that. That that's that's she terrible. had a lot of the world left to uh, travel yeah. too. She did uh, have a fantastic life and saw many things, but there was still a lot left. That's really twisted things around. Then, so what happens mm -hmm. to your trip at that point? Well, uh, a couple of things. So we just, just, just finished um, uh, an interim project. We knew we weren't going to be ready to kind of get a new co-pilot right away. So we, we came up with a project that we called uh, a Go Roughly pilgrimage. And it was essentially, or is essentially, um, a way to celebrate Moxie by visiting people who are doing other extraordinary things with their dog. Uh, and so we did a tour of the Western states that we just uh, completed visiting people that we've connected with and, you know, dock diving, puppy yoga, search and rescue, just got saved by Newfoundlanders in, a, yeah, in the middle of a lake, good. you know, pretending to drown, that that type of just incredible stuff. Um, wow. And then, uh, and, and meanwhile, we've um, got new bikes because my bike uh, was really totaled. Um, and so we're on a pair of uh, Triumph Tiger uh, Rally Pros. Which are oh, wow. just, I mean, yeah. yeah. Didn't you, you, um, you had yeah. 650 single cylinders, didn't you? I did. I had the, the 650, Greg had the 700. Um, and his, so oh, his 700, like it didn't, it, it, it had several thousands of dollars of damage and, you know, 150,000 or so kilometers on, on the odometer. So it just, it didn't 
make any sense. So I, I rode mine back up from Guatemala. Greg flew back to LA. Um, and then um, I sold mine. And uh, we had gotten in touch with uh, Triumph North America. And they were fantastic dog lovers. <laughs> Loved what we were doing. Um, and so we were able to get the, uh, the Triumph Tiger 900 Rally Pros. And that's what we're riding now. Wow. That is quite a change in a ride. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they are awesome bikes. Oh, they are unbelievable. so smooth. They have everything, all the luxury you could ever want. And on off-road, they are a dream. Wow. That's, that's really incredible. This has a lot been <laughs> happening. Holy job. Where, where are you guys now? So um, we picked up those bikes in Seattle to uh, start this pilgrimage. It's been about a three-week journey. And now we're in uh, LA. So we kind of did that whole route down visiting uh, people, you know, uh, people and activities along the way. Mm -hmm. And uh, this morning as we speak, we are leaving here to, uh, with our new co-pilot, uh, <laughs> Whimsy, to go to um, sort of like a ranch yeah. or something um, in Northern California for a month where we're going to teach her to ride and then um, continue the, the journey, continue the around the world. So starting in September, we're going to make our way north to Vancouver um, because from Vancouver, we want to fly ourselves, our bike, our new pup over to Spain. And then we are going to start going down through Africa. Oh, wow. Incredible. <laughs> man, oh man, that is, this is quite the life you guys are living right now. That's amazing. <laughs> now, we say this just with a caveat, because clearly if the last few months teach us nothing else, uh, plans, plans can change. <laughs> the <Yeah>. gods will <laughs> laugh, but... <laughs> And you're, you're, you guys have been traveling with dogs on the back of your, well, how long have you been traveling and, and camping from your motorcycle? For, how long have you been doing that? Well, uh, we what, started go roughly around the 10, world. 12 years ago, yeah. we've been traveling by motorcycle. Uh, first trip was a North and South America trip, uh, with specifically with a dog with Moxie. It was, uh, the last, what, five years, five years something like yeah. that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah. And you're camping a lot, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. How many nights of camping do you think you've actually got? So, we, so for Go Roughly Around the World, we were doing um, four days of camping and three days in an Airbnb hotel motel so that we could work during those days. So four days out of the week, we were camping, wild camping for the most part, um, some more established campsites uh, in certain places. So l let me ask you first, why do you guys camp? What is it about camping? Like, is it the money thing or is it the camping? What is it? just take a quick break. I've got some new things that I want to tell you about. You're definitely going to want to hear these. When we come back, we've got a lot more that we're going to talk about. Stay with us. If you've seen the Rocky Mountains in Canada, well, you already know what an incredible backdrop for riding this is. Everywhere you look is another photo. And to explore it by motorcycle is absolutely amazing. Well, this year in September, September 10th to 15th, as a matter of fact, BMW Motorrad Canada is presenting their first ever GS-only adventure called ADVX. ADVX is a five-day adventure ride using guided routes and curated trails, that's like following a GPX route, through the Rocky Mountains. Now, mainly it's off-road riding, 
And it's also supported by BMW master technicians for doing, you know, tires or minor repairs. But to have that support is amazing for an event like this. Now, the place you're going to be staying while you're riding each day is as grand as the area that you're going to be riding in. It's the Sun Peaks Grand Hotel, a stunning venue for a five-day adventure ride. You hit the trails, the roads all day long, and then you come back to some serious luxury. Now, to get there, this is a huge bonus. You can ride your bike to the nearest specified dealer. You drop it off, then you go home. BMW Motorrad Canada will get your bike from there to the Sun Peaks Grand Hotel for the event. Then after this five-day amazing adventure ride, you can just fly back home and get back to your life, and they're going to return your bike to that dealer. How sweet is that? No worries about shipping your bike or spending days riding there and back. It can fit into a tidy, adventurous five days without worrying about the to and from time. So to sign up for the event, you want to do it soon because they only are taking a limited number of entries for this. This is the first ever. Here's the website, advx.ca. So grab a ticket now, as I said, limited number of entries. Get in there for the first ever BMW Motorrad Canada ADVX. The website again, advx.ca, advx.ca. Of course, the link is on our website as well. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. advx.ca. Well, I'm really excited about this new product from Pearly's. It's called the Pearly's Hugger. I'm obviously a huge fan of Pearly's Possum Socks because they work so incredibly well. Well, they've done it with this sweater too. I was going to say they've taken it one step further than a regular merino wool sweater, but I think they've taken it at least two steps. It's made with merino wool and possum fur, that blend. Also, a 10% silk is knitted into this. Absolutely amazing. Now, I was wearing a prototype. I was lucky enough to be one of the early testers, and I was wearing it in the wintertime and then into the spring. I'm still wearing it, actually. Anytime it's cold, it is my go-to sweater now. I I don't even bother with my merino wool sweater. The Pearly's is just too good. It's incredibly warm, not stuffy, and I hope you understand what that means. Like, you know, things can feel overly, like, sort of clammy warm. No, not, not this. It's not thick. It fits under all my jackets. It's got a zipper on the neck. The fit is very, very good, very comfortable. But most importantly, it's warm. It works. It wicks away moisture. It has all those things that merino wool, all those qualities that merino wool and possum for her has wicks away moisture, doesn't stink, all of that sort of stuff. And I'll tell you though, when I opened the tester, the first thing that I was taken back by was the softness of the sweater. I kind of thought, well, maybe this thing's not going to be very durable. I'll have to be careful with it because it's so soft and delicate feeling. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. Because it was a tester, I really put it to the test. I used it every day, as I said. I used it for doing everything, including working on vehicles outside or on the house or anything. Everything was wearing this sweater. It's always my go-to because I layer all the time. And after all that wear and tear, it's been washed multiple times because I have grease on it and I've done everything with it. There is zero sign of wear. There's no balling, no threads hanging, absolutely nothing. This thing is incredibly tough. And the great thing about this, the sweater actually looks nice enough that you can wear it out as a going out sweater, which I do. (laughs) It's my cleanup sweater. So it's, I can wear it under my motorcycle jacket and then it's my cleanup sweater. I know I'm really going on about this, but I'm telling you, this is an amazing product. And back to that softness thing, one thing that's really kind of surprised me is when, when I was wearing it is anytime I was give somebody a hug, you know, when you say goodbye, they would almost grab me again or, or drag their hands down my arms, which is really kind of weird and, and comment on the softness of the sweater. Like everybody was really taken by the softness of the sweater. Well, you feel that softness when you're wearing it. Anyway, have a look. Pearly's is a website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. 
pearlyspossumsocks.com. Well, if your motorcycle didn't come with a cruise control, this is the ticket for you. It's the Atlas Throttle Lock. The Atlas Throttle Lock is the brainchild of Heidi and David Winters. When they were on the Around the World trip, David had broke his wrist, couldn't find a throttle lock that he liked, so he vowed to make a better one for himself when he got back, and he, he actually did do that. The, the people around him saw it. They wanted one. Of course, you know the story. The rest is history. They manufactured it. I've used throttle locks for years. I was in the same boat. I just assumed they didn't work very well. That was until I met David and Heidi. The Atlas Throttle Lock is a beautiful, beautiful piece of engineering. It's metal. It's super thin. It mounts on any bike in minutes. It's just like a single screw and a couple of pads you put in. It works like it was designed for your bike. It's got two buttons on it, one for engage, one for disengage. Those buttons deliver a perfect tactile feeling so that you know what you're doing without looking at or fiddling with anything. Once it's engaged, you can vary the throttle by adding more or less, and it holds the new position. You don't have to turn it off for that. Before the Atlas throttle lock, I used to use throttle locks very rarely. It was like more on just on long stretches of road. But the Atlas, the design that they've invented, makes it so you can use it anywhere. I mean, I use this thing all the time. AtlasThrottleLock.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. What is it about camping? Like, is it the money thing or is it the camping? What is it? Well, I, I think that it's it's certainly a combination of things. Um, maybe the most go roughly answer is to get away from people. <laughs> to be as antisocial as possible. <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm tongue in cheek, but um, I think... Uh, we yeah. like being out in nature. We like the, the being, yeah, being separated from others. And by having the dog, it it's better for us to be in a place where she can be out in the open. So she can be watching the squirrels and playing in the rivers and doing all of those fun things outside. And off leash, and right? Off Which leash. is a, right. another sort of impetus for the dispersed or wild campgrounds. Because, uh, you know, when you're at these, a lot of these campgrounds uh, being back in, in sort of this U.S., um, it's become very heavy sort of RV focused, I mm-hmm. think. And there's kind of nothing worse than waking up to the sound of someone's generator. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about how you travel. Just describe your bikes. You've already said they're, they're tigers. But I mean, um, uh, just overall, how are they set up? Soft panniers, hard panniers, you're using tank bags. We've always used uh, hard cases, uh, hard panniers, um, you know, to avoid getting into the issue. I mean, we just lock and key, I guess, is, is what's, um, but that's what we've got. And uh, I carry a couple of, uh, of duffels on the back. Um, and, and that carries most of the camping gear. Mm-hmm. And then we've got uh, tank bags, a uh, pretty small tank bag with these like the four, three, four ones. liters, mm-hmm. the, the giant loop ones. And, uh, and then a couple of six liter, um, what, do you, what would you call them? Like craft bar bags or tank pannier bags. Uh, up front. And I use those in the front ones for the dog. So for, for her food, her water, her leash, her bowls, all of that. So those are designated for the dog. And then the, the panniers are designated for uh, clothes and tools and computer stuff and, and all of that. And then the duffel on the back, that is your camping gear, like a one bag grab? Two. Two bags. So Greg has the two Tillamook uh, bags from Giant Loop. And so that carries the cooking equipment, all of the camping stuff. Um, and some additional uh, odds and ends. Oh, that's great. So when you come into camp, it's just the two bags you grab and you walk over to where you're yeah. camping and you set up. 
exactly. Mm-hmm. And then he's got the cactus canteen from Giant Loop for the water, uh, the eight liter one. Oh, so that, nice. that's what we use for water. So um, for your, your camping gear, what, what does your outfit look like for camping? We have a three person tent that is a three season. Um, we have our two camping chairs. We've got one of those soft top tables um, for for cooking on. Um, we've got the Thermarest, the blow up ones, uh, the two sleeping bags. Uh, the dog has her own uh, tender paw trucker bedroll, which we have inside the tent with us. So she's basically our third person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for cooking, we have the the GSI outdoor uh, cook cookware. Camp, yeah, camp cookware, Something. the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. and uh what else i mean i think that's those are the, that's basic, the key stuff that's you know have, yeah no chairs you guys don't carry chairs yeah we have two two chairs the two of those uh uh helinox like zero chairs the really oh, lightweight right. ones that, that do have sort of a back to them and the helinox table right now the table what is that so uh, also, I think by Helinox, yeah. it's um, a really sort of small, compact, um, tubular, erected uh, table, camp table. And um, it's got two cup holders that are uh, mesh in the, the middle. Whole, yeah, top then, is mesh, but it's really stretched out. So you get sort of a, a relatively hard top and you can, you know, do uh, put all your stuff on there. As you're, yeah, as you're I can cook on it, but it, it saves space from the hard top. Uh, table that they have. So that's why we, we went to this version. I like the idea of having a table. I mean, table always helps. There's no doubt about it when you're, mm-hmm. when you're camping. It's a huge convenience. I'm, well, for me, it's as... important for the cooking to keep things off the ground. Mm-hmm. How do you guys choose what gear you're going to buy? So when you're looking for bags, you're looking for tents, or well, what's your criteria or, or, or maybe what's your litmus test that you, that you have for it if you have one? I think Greg would say size, <laughs> packability, because he's the one carrying the camping gear. <laughs> Actually, Greg was going to say that the first priority is that the dog can't destroy it. Oh, that too. <laughs> uh, how do you, what do you mean? How, how do you get it so the dog can't destroy it? Well, for example, we were very concerned to go to the um, the, the fully sort of inflatable, very ultra lightweight um, thermarest type, you know, sleeping pads uh, until oh. we tested it by having Moxie try and scratch the hell out of it and she didn't didn't puncture it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So was Moxie actually like digging at your bed or she just, because you're sleeping with the dogs, right? Yeah. So she sleeps on her, uh, her, her own bed in the corner. Um, But you know, like, yes, in the tent, but then in the morning she gets excited and wants to do things and starts climbing all over us and has the zoomies at night and, she can, she would definitely go over the thermarest. So we had her practice that outside of it just to test to see if, if her claws would, would clip it. But no, it was, it was fine. She, she was okay. <laughs> and what, what about the tent and stuff for the dog? Is there any, like, do you have a super heavy duty tent to keep the dog in or do you just not, the dog no, doesn't damage the, it? The, yeah. The, the only issue with the, the tent is the, the mesh. So what we noticed very early on is that if, if Moxie saw or heard, or if she heard something, she would want to like burst through the tent. And that's what we were mainly concerned about. But yeah. so what we do is we wouldn't let her in there unless the fly was on or we were in there with her. Otherwise, if she saw another dog or a squirrel or something she wanted to go after, um, there was a possibility of her uh, like trying to get through the door, the mesh door. Sure. Yeah, that that makes sense. That would be a that would be rather catastrophic. 
So that's your first test. Your first test has has to be dog worthy, which is very unique to to you guys and probably maybe a few other people out there. Do you have any other criteria? Um, I, I guess it would be size would be the next one. Well, certainly, but I, I think it's just uh, a little bit more complicated than like the smallest and lightest. Um, there's there's this sort of um, calculation, I guess, that you need to do uh, between um, comfort and packability. If you're, I think, if you're going out for a, a weekend or an overnight, a couple of nights, whatever, I mean, you can really kind of suffer through anything, right? And and it's not the end of the world. You don't get a good night's sleep, or you were a little bit cold, you were a little bit hot. Um, but when you're sort of doing it consistently and long term, it makes a huge difference to to sort of factor into it that I need to be comfortable because every night that I'm not comfortable, I'm then you know either considering going to a motel and then there's the cost questions um, or and the experiential sort of like I need to just bug out to a motel even though I'm not going to have as as good of an experience. So. Mm. You know, ultra light. I, 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 I sort of, um, I resist when people kind of say like, "Well, you just got to get the lightest stuff." You know, look at how small it gets. Like, yeah, but you know, what's your plan here? Because again, three, four nights a week of camping, um, you need to be enjoying this. You need to stay fresh. You need to wake up the next day and do it all again. And if your gear doesn't allow you to do that, if you don't have the table or the chairs, and you're just again. Or um, yeah, for me, it was the, the pillow. So I, I love having a nice pillow, but obviously the nice ones take up more space. So I, I started with a very small one and I hated it. And I would tell, I like, I was so uncomfortable and I had a horrible night's sleep. And I said, Greg, no, we gotta, we gotta get a proper pillow for me. That feels good that I can, that is going to let me sleep well through the night. Otherwise I'll be a terror the next day. So you're just going to have to find a place to put that <laughs> pillow. <laughs> So then you have a, yeah, well, that makes perfect sense because I mean, you know, even in a survivalist uh, mentality, you know, if you're, if you're, I don't know, you're shipwrecked somewhere or something, the first thing you want to do while well, you need water, and then you've got to make sure you have a good night's sleep and that's your shelter and your bed and everything. And that's a very important point that you've just made there, that it can't just be about whittling it down to the lightest, smallest thing to pack because um, you can take nothing at that point, but you're not going to have a good night's sleep. Then you're going to be tired, cranky, and probably unfit for riding, really. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Again, like, you know, it's one thing to do it for, for two or three days. Oh, we got one night of camping, two nights camping. Great. Go, go as light as you can. If you plan to kind of do it longer term, um, you really got to think about your comfort as well. Okay. Great tip. That's a, that's a great tip. How do you guys manage food, especially traveling long-term? You, you've got to always be preparing. If you're cooking your meals while you're out, you've always got to be running with some food. How do you do that? So I, I normally, when we're passing through a town, uh, on that first day, when we go, when we're, when we're riding again, um, I will pick up food for probably two days worth and, and we'll carry that. Um, we do have emergency food things that we could, uh, we could heat easily or not heat, but eat, uh, on the road if we needed to. Um, but I look for things that are, um, pretty packable because we don't want to be carrying a whole bunch of cans and things like that. So we'll go to the grocery store, pick up some things, carry that. And then depending on what country in or where we are, there's the local markets where I pick up fruits and vegetables, um, things on the side of the road that we can get as well. So it, we just sort of supplement it as we go along. But I'm not carrying four days worth of food for the days that we're camping. We start probably with two and then we we fill it in as we go. I Jim, I feel like uh, anybody who's sort of watched an episode or two of ours... Um, <laughs> might question that 
But Jess has a bit of a habit, more than she'd like to to admit, of sort of letting the grocery store run away with her. <laughs> well, I get excited when I go and I'm like, oh, there's all of these things that I can make. Or or I would like a couple of croissants, but they only come in a pack of six and they're in this whole plastic thing. And it's like, well, Greg, like I couldn't give it up. We needed to get all six of them because I needed the two. Yes. And since one of our greatest joys of coming on your show is to defame each other. <laughs> I won't let her get away with that. <laughs> um, and well, and so I have a, a pair of, of the smaller rock straps uh, crisscross on the top of my panniers um, to strap down the bounty that Jess <laughs> harvests uh, every time she goes into a grocery store. And I also have a record of crashing and tipping over more than her. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe in no small part because of that. Yeah. Right. So do you, that, that you just mentioned about using the rock straps over your pack. So when you're getting extra stuff, like for instance, the croissants that come in the big package or the, you know, the, the bulk package of um, paper towel, where are your spots to put it? Like, because the, I think that's one of the biggest things that people run into is that you, you, you pack your stuff and pretty much you're full at that point. So then when you go to get food, it's like you, you don't have any room to put your food in. Exactly. Um, I think one of the best sort of uh, pieces of advice around that is when you pack, don't pack uh, all of your bags full. I mean, you've got to um, have identified this space, whether it's in a side case or for us, we, we tend to put the food up or we always put the food up front on my tank pannier bags. Um, and then, of course, on top of my lids and <laughs> on top of the, right. uh, the Tillamooks, <laughs> etc. But, um, you know, if you ride uh, out of the house sort of uh, already stuffed, um, you're kind of in trouble because even if you've already accounted for food, you still sort of there's going to be incidentals along the way and you have no place for it. And now in, you know, uh, 40 degree heat uh, Celsius, um, you now you're sort of moving everything around and shifting to try and find where you're going to stuff that thing that you had to pick up. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you've got to leave with sort of like an empty space um, already. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't be stuffed to the gills. How do you do that? <laughs> well, one thing that we do is on the, for our side cases, our hard cases, we put nets in the top of the, the lids. So that gives us some additional space um, that we don't fill up. So if we do have like a nice loaf of bread or something that can fit in that, in the net up top. Oh, you, you know, is that outside or inside? Inside. So like that space um, for, so we have the, the Triumph hard cases, which are the, the GV cases. Um, there's additional space at the top there. Um, so we, we've put a net there that will allow us to put stuff in the lid. And you have enough room to get a loaf of bread. That's a fair bit of yes. room. Wow. Okay. Yes. Okay. It's quite good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that, that makes perfect sense. So what, what about, um, what about safety for camping? Do, do you guys worry about protection from animals or, or maybe humans? Uh, is the bike a concern? Do you tarp the bike? That sort of thing? Yeah. So what we have are, um, we had black, sort of blackout curtains or covers made for the bikes specifically because we do a lot of wild camping uh, don't necessarily want to be seen and a lot of our stuff has reflective especially the canine moto cockpit's got a whole reflective <laughs> uh, strip around it oh, so right. what we did is we put these blackout curtains over it um, which are just covers they're just made out of a vinyl um or a very something lightweight 
Mm -hmm. And that just helps give us peace of mind that people aren't going to be able to see the bikes from the road or if their lights shine on it, they're not going to see us right away. Um, So that's one way that we help. It helps make us feel a little bit safer about the bikes. Anything else you do? Well, we we do carry along a like a a big sort of kryptonite chain that is essentially um, wrapped and secured around in in between the two sort of uh, passenger hand handholds or handrails um, underneath the Tillamooks. So it's sort of always there, and that can be used to chain the bikes together. Um, uh, You know that goes obviously well beyond the camping. I think um, ideally you're camping someplace where sort of you don't need to worry about it because no. they're hidden. And I mean, we've had times where we've sort of thrown our bikes into a bunch of bushes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they can't we, be seen. we also have a bit of a different situation by having a big German shepherd. Um, she will alert if somebody's coming. Um, so yeah. there are, there have been times where she will let us know that somebody's nearby and that will, sometimes it seems to deter people from coming closer. So she was a good security. <laughs> as soon as you hear measure. the bark, you know that like there's, there's no point in going there. I mean, you've already been identified and it's only going to get worse. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So have you ever had any issues with, with people or animals when you're camping? Really uh, not. I mean, we had, we had the, um, a bear banger when we were up in, well, uh, you know, in Canada and, and, and on our way up to the Arctic, uh, we never had to use it. We did, of course, test it. Uh, so we enjoyed that <laughs> experience. <laughs> um, but yeah, didn't have to use it. Uh, you know, little creatures and stuff. But I mean, we haven't had a bear problem. We've had, you know, we've had people kind of come in and, and sort of see us camping in the woods there. Um, we might have told you once about the, you know, uh, in Mexico, sort of guys pulling up along the, the road and Moxie going bonkers and me trying to, you know, uh, share all the kindness in the world. And they were just checking on us. So, you know, generally it's things like that. I mean, the the security, we're, it's not that we're not concerned or worried. And I think with the, the new bikes, I mean, that's to be seen really sort of how that affects us. Yeah. Uh, our other bikes were certainly nice, but they weren't brand new like that. But um but yeah, you know, I think it's more about uh, when we're camping. I mean, if you're in a, an established, you know, campground, I, I'm not particularly concerned. No. When you're in the middle of nowhere, uh, again, ideally, you've found someplace that really is the middle of nowhere and not sort of kind of the middle of nowhere where you will be seen. Mm-hmm. So a- after all these nights of camping, all this camping that you've done, especially with, with the dogs, are there, are there some rituals or methods or sort of special things that you do while moto camping that you, that you could pass on? Well, um, yeah. So, uh, a couple of things that, that sort of come to mind here. So first of all, one thing we like to do is, um, we have a, a shot of something in the evening and that is really just mm-hmm. sort of it's not so much about the drink. It's really just about taking a moment and between the hustle bustle of the day and then getting the the tent set up and, you know, taking care of the dog and and then getting food cooked and everything. We were, we were actually uh, uh, camping at the Arctic ocean, saw this, uh, this couple with their kids that were, you know, car camping uh, beside us. And they just took a moment to like clink uh, glasses and and then the craziness of the kids and everything continued and it just really stuck with us and so we sort of incorporated that and between the filming of of what we're doing and and you know kind of working from the road if we have signal and even if we don't 
it's just forces that moment to sort of appreciate where you are. No, oh, yeah, I like that. That that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So another thing is, um, so we have a couple of those, what are they made? Like Black Diamond, I think, makes mm-hmm. these things. They're the really small, like 200 lumen rechargeable lanterns, right? And they kind of just can be like clipped on or hung on to different things. And we really like having those because, you know, you create sort of a uh, an ambiance, let's say. <laughs> Um, and, and really the value of it is that you can, you know, place, you kind of create chandeliers if there's a tree over you, branches, whatever you can do. Um, and it means that other than sort of for detailed sort of camping stuff, you can keep your headlight off. Yeah. So you're not shining your light in your partner's face when you're talking right, to them. Headlamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get that. Exactly. Yeah. And not getting bugs flying to your face either. Right. Exactly. Okay. So, that makes sense. And it makes it more of a home too, because we like to do that, don't we? I mean, it's nice to get set up and, and make it sort of a comfortable little spot for us for the night. Exactly yeah. that. The exactly more that. the more comfortable we, we enjoy it, the more likely we're going to camp more and more. And so that's, we we try and give ourselves the best opportunities to uh, to have a good experience while we're camping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I would say sort of in terms of that that comfort element and, and the more we'll, we'll do it, so we are sort of big, uh, strong coffee lovers, as in like espresso. And so we have a portable espresso maker because we were finding that any sort of drip coffee or little thing that we would make in the morning, it would just kind of leave us uh, wanting and jonesing. And then you'd get on the bike and you'd find yourself sort of, ah, well, you think there's a cafe in that town or <laughs> where can we find, you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes making sort of bad decisions in terms of, well, I know we've got this activity we can do or something else, but let's stop for a coffee first. I think they call it addiction, don't they? Isn't that the yeah. word for it? <laughs> it is exactly <laughs> what I'm it talking is. from experience too. <laughs> um, and so, the, you know, having this, uh, this portable coffee maker, and I'll just throw out the name, um, it's the, the Outen. It's, it's uh, rechargeable. And it makes you a steaming uh, cup of like barista level coffee. And so we start out the day. Jessica gets co- uh, her, her latte in the tent. Yep. That's mm. the level of, um, of service that she has come to take for granted. <laughs> you are taking for granted. Oh. 100%. <laughs> you kind of stir and then you say, say is coffee coming? <laughs> coffee coming? Um, but again, like it, you just, you feel ready for the day. So if coffee's your thing, it's something to consider. Yeah. And then you don't have to rush from the campsite because you just want to go get a coffee. Like that means that we can spend a bit more time in the morning, relaxing a little bit, taking our time, enjoying a nice breakfast or coffee. And then we set out for the day. Mm. I like this because what I'm gathering here from this is that although you guys are obviously very good at packing because you still have room to fit a loaf of bread in one of your panniers, and <laughs> and so so what you're taking is important. You're still taking the time to find certain things that are important to make you comfortable. Like for instance, your shot, and I love the way you describe that. It's it's not so much about the shot. It's not the shot. It's the idea of what you're doing. And even this, the espresso in the morning. I mean, I can totally see that. So it's worth it, the little bit of extra weight and bulk that you're taking for this coffee, this espresso maker, it's, it's worth it because it sets your day. Yeah. And I think that, I think for us, it's particularly important because that's our home. We're living off of our bikes. We don't have a home to come back to. So we want to, we make every place that we go our home so that it's comfortable for us and that we'll enjoy it. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. 
And, and I guess I would add to that then sort of on that same theme um, is bathing. Um, <laughs> because again, like if you're just kind of, you know, doing like a rough and tumble weekend or something, like who needs to bathe? Like enjoy <laughs> the filth. Um, for the two days. Know, I don't want for two days, yeah. maybe. That's it. For yes. the day. Yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, as soon as it's sort of a um, day in, day out thing, the last thing you want is sort of to camp on sort of, again, we think of it four days of riding and three days of working. You sort of have a rough and tumble uh, first day and night. And then for like three days, you're just kind of aching for a shower and stuff. Like you don't, mm -hmm. that's not how you want to be approaching the experience. So um, I think we mentioned that the cactus canteen and, and we have a, uh, like just a, a tube connection to it with a sort of spout that creates it into a shower. Oh, so you're doing an actual shower. You're hanging it up and, yeah. and you're doing a shower. Oh, mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. even in the morning, if it's cool in the morning, I'll have Greg heat the water for me and put it in there and then I get a nice warm shower. Yeah. So once we've made coffee and sort of done the, the necessaries with the water, uh, you know, what's left is either going to provide for an, a sort of African style uh, uh, bucket bath, bucket bath <laughs> or potentially for, for a shower. And again, it, it's all part of that like, it's not essential, but if, if it's sort of making this a better experience and making you a better version on the road, then, you know, it's worth it. Yeah. You mentioned the, the, the dromedary bag from Giant Loop. What's the name of that one again? The Cactus Canteen. Cactus Canteen. So, okay. So that's, that's a good one to note. Anything else? Yeah. So, yeah, I think we've got a couple other uh, things here that people might find helpful um, in no particular order. So. Um, we talked about sort of the wilder dispersed camping. If the area you're in, you're looking for sort of a um, non-official campground, we found that rock quarries or, or sort of gravel pits are fantastic. Uh, there's generally a good sort of road, you know, into it. Um, and the nature of sort of how it's been carved out creates a, a non-natural wind block. Um, and so, for example, we stayed in a bunch of them going up to the Arctic all through, you know, Northern Canada, uh, because they were very available. Nobody was there. People would leave when, as long as you left early in the morning, uh, there's no, there's no issues. Now, are you yeah. you're not talking about a, like a gravel pit, you know, an active gravel pit with a scale and everything. What you're talking about are the, um, well, the, the pullouts off the side of the road where they're, where they're sort of taking gravel from that sort of thing. Well, uh, you know, where they from road construction or anything else, I mean, they've kind of, dug out an area, cleared, you know, the forest uh, in an area. And uh, I mean, what, what would you call it? I mean, generally they're using it to make sand or to make, uh, you know, for gravel for or the for road construction. There are equipment out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll find loads of them sort of, it's the only thing you'll find really for long stretches of the Dempster yeah. and, and a lot of those roads up there. Uh, and particularly because the forest can be so dense, uh, there, there aren't a lot of sort of, flat areas right off into the forest. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, we, we find those to be fantastic for that. Um, and then another thing that, you know, you had mentioned about sort of the, with the cactus canteen, the water bags being so great because like, as you use them, they get smaller. Um, we've gotten loads of use out of those sort of soft bottles, uh, by Hydropack. They have all different sizes and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we put, we put not just water, but then like uh, cooking oil. We put sunscreen, we put shampoo, um, our, uh, what do you call it? Our 
our coffee uh, mate, our coffee oh, yeah. the creamer, creamer, you know, powder, mm. and and you can shake it out. They've got like squeeze tops, uh, and so as you use it, you're not stuck with a bottle that continues to occupy a bunch of space that it's that it shouldn't. Oh, and this has a fairly this hydropack has a fairly big uh, filler neck on it. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can you can un, untwist the tops, um, and then you can fill it in quite easily. Like I don't, you don't need a funnel or anything. You can just oh. basically pour them in. Mm-hmm. That is great. What well, you guys have got so much going on, I can't believe it. You know what you're going <laughs> through right now, and and um, so you'd be some months before you get back on the road. We'll have to catch well, up. Really, we're we're uh, on the road now, but it'll be uh, one September. more month when we're actually riding with the the new dog. Right. So you you are traveling right now, but you're you're getting the dog sorted out and trained, and then you're going to go mm-hmm. back to it. And you're going to yeah. ride right from where you are. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So I mean, I'm my throttle hand is working again, so there's nothing stopping us. Great fun to catch up. We'll talk again, I'm sure, down the road. Thank you very much, both of you. Our pleasure. Thank Thanks you. so much. That was Jess and Greg Stone from Go Roughly. They're on the road with the new Triumph motorcycles and, of course, the new dog, Whimsy. You can follow their adventures at goroughly.com. We've got that link, as well as some great photos that they've given us in the show notes on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Now, we're going to take a quick break here. Then we're going to have Mickness and Elsa B from Peaky Peaky Overland. Stay with us. See and be seen, that's the motto at Cyclops Adventure Sports, a family-owned business, a family of riders, actually just like you and I. Cyclops knows motorcycles and they know riding because they do it. They make loads of lighting accessories, virtually any configuration you need for your bike, they've got. And they make really nice LED headlight replacement systems, systems for CAN bus, all plug and play. And again, they're riders, so they make products that they want to ride with. I've got the Cyclops Adventure Sports Aurora 2-inch auxiliary lights on my bike. And man, these things punch a hole in the darkness. And and they've got this this LED ring that's an option that you can get on them. This orange LED ring on the outside. But together, it really just commands attention to oncoming vehicles. And the, the Evo turn signal inserts, I've got those as well. They turn your front signals into super bright LED driving lights. And in the back, super bright LED brake lights. And I'm telling you, those things alone have created so much attention for my motorcycle. I can see it often when I just touch the brakes. I see the lights reflect on all the signs behind me, my mirror, and you can see people just stay right back. It commands their attention, and that's what you want. CyclopsAdventureSports.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. CyclopsAdventureSports.com. Did you realize that a larger foot peg disperses your weight? and then makes your ride more comfortable. A wider peg also gives you more leverage when using your pegs to control your motorcycle. But changing a foot peg design changes the relationship with your brake and your shifter. So if you don't get one that's designed specifically for your bike by people who know how to do it, then you're going to get something that doesn't improve your ride. You want to get a quality set of foot pegs. IMS Products has been making parts for motorcycles since 1976. Do the math on that. That's a long time. And when they design a part, they put all those years of experience into the parts that they're designing. They also have an incredible network of professionals that they deal with. So when they build a part, they can send it out for testing in all the correct ways. That's why you buy a product that has a brand behind it that cares about the product itself. IMS Products makes a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs 
all cast certified 17-4 stainless steel, all built in the USA, all have a lifetime warranty. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Hi, I'm Elsa B from Picky Picky Overlands from South Africa, and we are currently in Texas. Hi, my name is Michtas. Um, I'm the better half, the second half. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yes, we're in Texas. We, we brought the motorcycles back from South America after six years then. Hey, how long have you guys been camping by motorcycle? Not just on this trip, but in general. So we started traveling, uh, long-term travel in 2010. And our first trip was leaving from South Africa, uh, up the East Coast uh, from Africa to Europe. Um, And we actually, since our first uh, leaving home, we've been camping. Oh, wow. oh, we started camping. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Af- yeah. Africa, Africa. I think we did eleven months in total, or twelve yeah. months, and we did, we did, we did close on to every night camping, except yeah. bar, bar, probably a week. But yeah. for the rest, we camped every single day. So, why do you camp? So it depends, Jim. If in a, in in let's say like Africa. There's not always the facilities um, uh, that you find or the type of roads we do that, you know, uh, relatively affordable accommodation or um, maybe just the routes we do. So, but it's twofold for us. Um, we like camping. Um, it's not just a method of how to stay if you're in the middle of nowhere. For us, we really like camping. And for instance, when we were in South America, you tend to find if you talk to a local about camping, they think you want to go and have a picnic. Um, mm-hmm. So not all the countries in South America has got facilities. And there we found that we actually have to put in a little bit more effort to actually find a nice campsite. Uh, but generally, we like it. It's, it. We like the freedom, the quietness. We, we don't have to camp because we don't have money to camp. We we camp because we, we like it. And um, it's nice staying in hotels and stuff as well, but it, but uh, if there's nice places, and, and that's the reason why you ride back roads and country roads and, and stay in nice campsites. Like Namibia, I think Namibia probably has got some of the best, coolest campsites in the world. You know, why stay in a hotel when you can, when you can pitch a tent? I, I totally agree with that. I'd like camping just for the, just for the sake of doing it. For us, there's really nothing more special than waking up in a campsite. I know a lot of people say all the hassle and all the extra gear you have to carry and um, it's cold and then it's hot. But let's be honest, when you wake up in that tent and you open that zip and you look outside, the scenery, the freshness, there's just something so special about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And especially if you're, if you're wild camping in places where there's nobody, it is you're all alone. Um, you hear the wind. You can, you know, there's stars. There's, you, there's no hotels. How can you? you know, it's just I, different. Yeah, uh, I think some of our fondest memories is of uh, camping, like camping on the Salar, um, camping on the, on the highest point we could find in Mexico, waking up to a white world when we open the zip. It's like 
Now you, yeah. yeah, so I can, I, well, we, we haven't stayed in five to seven star hotels, so I can't say how nice <laughs> it is. But I can, I can tell you that I, I remember the good campsites. I cannot remember the, the stuffy hotels. That I can't remember. Even the nice hotels doesn't blow my mind. It's like, ooh, we stayed in this hotel. And ooh, I can tell you a story about it. I can tell you a lot of stories about the places we've camped. That's very special what you see there. But um, And actually who you meet there. Because yeah. if you're in a hotel, you don't really meet people. But if you're in a campsite, and, uh, you know, normal campsites, and there's people around you, I think some of our best friends we, we actually met in campsites. Yeah, I, can, I can tell you stories about people in campsites. <laughs> <laughs> I may want to hear those. <laughs> no, but that's a really good point that you just made. That's a really good point. Probably for a lot of people, the, the hotels don't wow you all that much. But boy, a, a beautiful campsite or like, like, you know, you're saying waking up in the morning and seeing, you know, the, the just that beautiful morning you get when you're camping. And yeah, that's that's a really good point. Hey, Let's talk about your method of travel. So, so if I can just get you to describe your bike, sort of overall, like not not the bike itself, but how you're set up as far as carrying your gear, soft panniers, hard panniers, tank bags, things things like that. So we, um, so it's obviously it's, it's two DR six fifties. They they're not big bikes, and the reason we're using them is for is to keep the lightweight and to be able to go into places where bigger bikes become cumbersome. And it's easier for them to service and, and, and all that. But our camping and our, and our gear, so we limit ourselves to 30 to 40 kilograms per person. That includes everything. Helmet, Helmets, gear, boots, boots, everything. Uh, camping stuff, everything. Uh, I carry most of the tools and the stuff, uh, stuff to repair. It's with me and then Elspie carries um, some of our electronics. He carries the, the, the kitchens, clothing. the clothing. And we Food. share the, the, the camping stuff we share between us, uh, the tent or the kitchen and stuff like that so but that's it's all in soft luggage uh, we don't really use hard luggage for for various of reasons because they um they, they heavier and they, <laughs> <laughs> because they of damage what? and stuff rattle in it <laughs> i fall too often <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and then soft luggage uh, for me is definitely better on the bike um one as i said i fall more often and i found the the soft luggage to be easier on me and on the the bike the way we configure the bags over the bike and mechanist would be able to give you more detail it's a loss, lot less strenuous on the, the subframe and on the bike itself because the weight is carried on the seat and not on the frames. Um, and then for me, of course, if we go shopping, you know, where do you quickly put your shopping? And with soft bags, you can just roll your bag a little bit higher and then you've got some extra space. And- mm. but the, the soft luggage, the, the, the combined, the duffel, of 60-liter duffels plus the two saddlebags, Plus the, the pouches is five kilograms. That that's a no, no let's say about seven kilograms. The, the raw gear. The, the raw gear, yeah. yeah. So the so the carry bag. My laptop, my Apple has been in LCB's duffel bag since 2015 on the back of a bike. It lived its life there. It's now um, we're still talking on that same laptop to this day. So oh, wow. all the falls that we had, yeah, wow. the water drops that we had, uh, uh, drowning it in rivers. Um, we've never broken any of the, the saddlebags. Yeah. Oh, we've cut here and there. You, you, you cut fabric and stuff, but they still here. Yeah, our, our current saddlebags is six years, five years old now because it's a prototype that we started to use um, for Takana. So I, I really like soft luggage. It, and if you go into small little technical places where you have to, in South America, push your bike into a hotel, you don't have to take your 
your boxes off or you break the guy's windows and stuff mm-hmm. just to get your bike into the into the hotel. Yeah, you just kick the oh, right. bags around. Can you get in? And you can fly with the with the saddlebags. You know, saddlebags yeah. are a lot less to, to fly with than what it is to. Like, I can even take my my uh, pair of saddlebags with the duffelos, uh, duffel bags that we use. We also use as carry-ons when you fly back home. Now you said about the bags. You're only thirty to forty kilograms. That's all your gear. That's including the bags. Camping gear, That's clothes. That's riding gear, boots, helmets, everything. the suits we wear, and then everything on the bike. So um, we, we tend to spread the weight. And uh, I think our last time we weighed everything, we were on 35 kilograms each. Wow. Um, and it, it depends on what we're doing. So if we're in a country where we camp a lot, obviously carry a little bit more um, spares and luxury and food. Uh, if we're in a country where we tend to stay longer, um, I think in our previous conversation, we were talking about how we deal with um, increased costs. And one of those is to actually stay in places a little bit longer. So in those periods, we will have less uh, stuff to camp with. So then the bags will be lighter again. And that's what we appreciate about our soft luggage setup is that if you don't carry everything you've got, you just roll the bag smaller. Uh, if you need to put a little bit, you roll it. And this, and because we compress, the whole system is compressed to the bike. There's absolutely no space for anything to rattle or shake or tear or Mm. The weight, the weight, the weights tend to tend to move around, or not move around. It goes up and down. So in Africa, there's no, there's not cold. So we will, do, we would carry probably about six kilograms of warm weather gear, sleeping bags and stuff less. Um, South America carried more, and South America I carried more space. That's another five or seven kilograms probably that you have to carry more. So the, the weight tends to to move around. We can actually, if we don't have laptops and, and, our, and our electronics, because we have needed for work. But if we don't need that, that's a, that's another three or four kilograms that you that you can shave off. And that's why we try. We we really critical on the stuff that we carry. We we try not to not to have that slippery slope where you start. Oh, it's just a little bit more. It's a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Is that little bit more when you get into serious trouble that that you know you start to. And of See course, that. we have to keep the space for the luxuries and the gifts yeah, we when we're going, we, we're on our way home. <laughs> well, and, and like you said, that's one of the good things about the soft luggage. You, you just unroll it a bit yeah. and shove some more stuff in there. But the thing is, now, I know you guys have Turkana now, so you're, you're in the business of making yeah. luggage. You know, you've got this this whole thing built around this the motorcycle luggage that you're making. But you were into soft luggage before this. This isn't something you've just changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, no, no, we've always been we've into always soft been luggage. Into, Right. We started off like everybody else with hard luggage and quickly found out that that, oh, that my is first not, trip, I quickly yeah, removed that. Yeah, the luggage was going this way and we were going the other way and just, you know, it's not going to work. Right. <laughs> okay, so for, for camping gear itself, what does that look like? What, what, what exactly do you have for camping gear? So, Mechnus can tell you about the thing, but we... We found what works for us um, really very well is like everybody would say layer up and down. And we tend to do the same with uh, our camping stuff as well. So our tent is not a, a, a typical four season tent, but you can adapt it. Um, and newspapers. Newspapers <laughs> and emergency blankets. <laughs> no, but we, we do. We do not um, carry high end uh, sleeping bags that you've only got the one sleeping bag because we found temperatures change so quickly when you go from the one side of the country to the other side or from a high point to a low point. So we, we sort of layer that. We've got uh, a thin um, 
a thinner type sleeping bag that folds much open or totally open that we can use as a blanket as well. And then we layer. We've got uh, uh, what do you could have this sheets, sheets uh, those little fleece fitted sheets for when it's really cold and we want to each climb into a, a sleeping bag. And then with the tent, we've got the two layer. Yeah. So, so we the tent thing is coming a long way. We we started camping in in, in 1980, in 1990 already when we went with motor with cars into Namibia and we used tents. And the tent the the tent can't be more than about 2.6 kilograms. It must fold up quickly, fold, uh, unfold quickly. It must have a, a crossover frame, uh, uh, and you must it must be freestanding. So you mustn't. The tent mustn't be pegged down. So if it's freestanding, you can move it around and use your luggage to, to peg it down and uh, fly sheet over it. And you, you can, can then assemble the tent almost anywhere. Where anywhere. If you have to pull a tent and uh, anchor it, you're not always in a place that you no, can. There's the, there's the tents, for example, that you park your motorcycle. You know, that, that for me is absolutely nonsensical. They, they weigh five kilograms. They pack the size of a duffel bag. Um, if you want to have security, if the argument is you want to security in a tent, well, then you can't stay there because the tent offers absolutely zero security. So security in a tent means actually nothing. If you say it's a, because of the wind blow, I need to park my, my tent, my, my motorcycle in a, in a desert and, I, and it's going to be sandblasted. Well, that tent is not going to stand in a, in a, in a wind like that in Patagonia. So that's, there's other means of protecting that, but the tent itself must be, and we use a three-man tent to give us enough space in the tent, but it still packs quite compact versus a two-man tent. So I think somebody that's on a solo would do good with a two-man tent, um, uh, but if you're two people, use a three-man tent. And um, the reason why Mechnes is saying there's extra space, it's not uh, because we want to put everything in the tent. It's just in the case where it's really raining. And, and also when you're in the bush, you don't want to leave your riding clothes outside and uh, wake up to a few spiders in them. So we, we always make sure that our tent is big enough that we can put our riding clothes at the bottom of, of our feet and then at least have our, uh, our most important gear in the tent next to us. Mm-hmm. Well, we've, been, we've been caught in, in rain for, for two, three days in, in, um, at a time where you, where you basically live in a tent and the, and the water yeah. is left. Is making little waves to the where the zipper is supposed to be. So, so a few things, Mechnes and I choose on a tent is that we want to have the little space in front of the tent where you can actually get undressed before you in the tent. Uh, so just and also if it rains, that you don't everything rains wet into the tent. So we've got a dome tent, but on both sides doors and both sides, what would you call it? A little a vestibule. Yeah, a vestibule. Uh, yeah, yeah. A vestibule. yeah. And the only the, the stuff that we spend money on is the tent because what happens is it starts to rain and um, you you know it's going to rain the whole night and the damn tent starts to leak and then there's no yeah, no stopping no sleeping. Yeah. So get a get a good tent and and both our tents that we had that we have uh, we actually used Nigor, which is a Dutch brand at the at the time. They were they went eight years probably yeah. and. The, the aluminium poles started to break, so I cut them shorter, and I, we still use them. Yeah, it looks odd now, but it's still working. <laughs> but, and, you know, so, so, so we don't use we don't use tents with graphite poles because they break. You just sort of it. So aluminium poles is still the, uh, the the best way to go. And then sleeping mats, the Expet brand. Yeah, uh, we we've a, gone through a few, and we we ended up only choosing Expet. They they expensive, but that's the stuff we spend money on. The the 
the sleeping bag is not that important. The, the fleece is not that important. Yeah, but the, the layering of uh, sleeping stuff we do. And sometimes a lot, uh, if we come, if we're in a warm country, we will actually get rid of one of the extra uh, layers of uh, a blanket or a thin fleece. And once, you know, you're uh, much later in a different country and you need to s- get something more warm or get more warmth, we will just buy a, uh, another fleece. So it, it sort of gives you a little, a little bit more flexibility that you don't feel too guilty that you throw out expensive stuff. Mm. Yeah, and, we, and, we, and we bought uh, compression, lower compression, roll top compression bags. So everything goes into those waterproof compression yeah. bags and we compress the life out of them. It's a little ball so we can get everything more compact, more uh, and, and it's waterproof within a waterproof line. We, we actually fit all our camping uh, gear. So the tent, the uh, two sleeping mats, uh, all our blankets, uh, the layered blankets, uh, into one sixty-liter uh, bag uh, on the top of Nichnes's bike. Hmm. So that's a like a roll-top bag that that's goes on top. That's a roll-top bag. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and it's comfortable. So when we do go into a hotel, that bag doesn't even come off the bike. It just stays there because all the camping gear is there. But when we camp, it's easy enough to know that everything is together in one spot. Now, do you have everything sorted modular like that? So in other words, if you are staying in somewhere at a hotel or something like that, you can just grab one bag or, or whatever bag it is. Yes. Oh, yes. I see. Everything is modular. Everything is, even even within our waterproof bags, we, we use little uh, pouches. pouches to put yeah. stuff in and it's different colors so that you can quickly wrap out. Even LCB's duffel bag carries our electronics and our, our normal day clothing. And all our clothing. All our clothing. <laughs> and my, my stuff is is. Yeah. is Different colors than hers, so I know yeah. my underwear is there and my jeans are there. Whatever. So, yeah, I'm the packer. Mifna, just scatters stuff, so I I pack. <laughs> so on the back of my bike currently, I've got a forty forty liter bag. Right in the middle, I pack the the two laptops, um, our most important electronics, um, and then around it, in little separate pouches, uh, we pack the clothing and the the. the bathroom bag and, and, and stuff like that. So it's twofold. It protects the laptops and also having the, the duffelo or the, the bag on the back of the bike, it's easy enough if we're just going to do a quick stay, stay over that that bag has got the most important stuff and our overnight clothing and we just go with one bag into the hotel. You know, your, your computer store story really speaks to uh, packing properly because if you you you've obviously have a method for packing that that protects it you know whereas you can imagine some people will be putting it in a pelican case which is very sensible to do put it in a pelican case because nice. it, then it's protected completely but you're protecting it in soft bags without anything that's designed strictly for protecting a computer but, yes but it's the same argument Jim with camera gear. So um, the, the safest areas on the motorcycle, especially if I'm riding, is in front of you on the tank and on the back of the bike. You physically have to flip that bike, and we're not going fast enough to do that, mm-hmm. flip that bike totally over before those two areas will generally get knocked or uh, uh, fallen on. So those for us is the safest uh, protection. And we've just found that as soon as you put something in a harder case and you don't foam it up, that whatever you put in there shakes around. Vibrations. So, and, and you get a lot of vibration. That, but as soon as you take something and you fit it into a soft bag, it's encased in something soft and it's packed around soft stuff, it's like putting pillows around it. it mm-hmm. It's way, way better. So 
I have been Mechnes has had an Apple laptop and I've been having, I have got a Microsoft uh, Surface Pro, which is my, a lot lighter as he's brick. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> both of them has been, we were really lucky. Yeah, even no damage, no yeah, problem. My, my camera is in my tank back. Um, never had any issues with it. I, I don't put it in. What else we carry is my lenses on her tank back yeah. because that's the least vibrations. I padded that a little bit more than the tank backs, but we've never lost a, a lens or a camera due to oh, touch vibrations, wood. touch wood. Um, but if you, even if, if you take the, the, the laptops and you, you put it in a saddlebag, but in between layers of other padding, that will be fine. Mm-hmm. It's when you put them in pelican cases with hard foam, that they get vibrations. And if you put it on the back of your bike, there is a lot of vibration. Yeah. If you put, if it's more in the rear seat, there's a lot less vibrations. Um, that's also why we, we, we padded the, the, the duffel bags on the bottom so that even if I shave, the, uh, there's movement, there's movement in the bag and not um, on your equipment. Oh, but right. I, now, when you say you padded them, is that something you've done or is that something you do is for Turkana? As, that's a factory That's what thing. we do for Turkana. We, we so, do it ourselves yeah. and, yeah. and we've now padded So it, with all uh, the years of traveling, we, we try to figure out what is the best to do. And especially because we started traveling in Africa, um, that was a nice playground to actually really know rugged roads and what's going to happen to your luggage. So yeah. we found that it doesn't matter what bag you put on the back. If you do a lot of off-road, eventually the bottom of the bag do get damaged. Even we pack our bags on top of a, a, a top and then uh, tie it to the bike. So it's not even straight on the bike. But even with that, you always do get some damage. And then we realize that we need to do something um, extra to uh, to have get more longevity out of it. And that's why Mechnes came up with the extra layers that go right at the bottom. So if you open our bag up, you've got the water lining that's in. You take the water lining out, which you can replace if you damage it. Right at the bottom, there's actually another piece of soft uh rubber that's encased in soft material and that's just attached in two ends so it actually moves at the bottom um mm. so yeah. that's interesting so that, of, that that makes yeah. a lot of sense so now you could also retrofit if you had a, a soft bag you could do the same thing just by putting oh, yeah. some sort of yes, foam on the absolutely. bottom yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. and it's it, it we would recommend that um uh, we've been traveling that way since Africa we, and we've, it's been we've never lost successful. any hard drive we've never lost a laptop we've never lost camera gear because of vibrations or because yeah. of knocks. Mm, well, that's really good because that is a huge concern. A lot of people have had those issues. And we've dropped bikes plenty. <laughs> we've drowned bikes. I think, bikes. <laughs> yeah, I think that, and this comes in for water and for uh, movement, is that always what we found is if we compress the luggage to the bike. So we use a lot of compression straps around the luggage to compress the luggage towards each other. So that's why we love the roll tops because when you roll it, you actually compress the luggage towards each other. You squeeze squeeze the air out that there's no space in it. So we make sure whatever we pack is compressed in the inner bags and then the bags get compressed together and then it gets compressed to the bike. It sounds very involved, but it's actually very quickly. Right. So so it's not flopping around. It, nothing you know. is flopping around and nothing is moving. So what, what other camping gear do you have? Are you carrying chairs? Do you get fancy with that sort of thing? Oh, that's our luxury. Oh, that's, that's our luxury. luxury. So, so we've got a, we've got a Helinox, the chairs here. That's that uh, little folding, that very light. I think they're a kilogram each. 
Yeah, th- these are the tiny chairs that you assemble with the miniature tent yeah. poles, and and they're yeah. they look so fragile. But I've seen people sit in them, and and they no. look very comfortable. Oh, they obviously, Jim, I was 130 at the time when we had them. Kilograms, I, kilograms, and I couldn't like that thing. No, I I was maximum density, and I couldn't break that thing. It no, is, they are it's, a, it's a luxury you don't have to have them. But we, I cannot. I'm I'm going to 54 now. I'm not going to sit in a campsite in the in the no, floor. It is always nice to sit on those roll chairs, kick out your feet and and watch a beautiful sunrise or sunset, obviously with something in your hand. But uh, yeah, a a chair is the luxury. We don't need to carry it. Um, it, That is actually our one camping luxury. But just a, 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 what did I say, buyer beware. There's a few brands out there, and they would say to you that they can carry 130 or 150 kilos. They can't. They're going to break on you. Yeah, check the aluminium. Yeah, so... Helinox uses um, it's a it's a company in in Korea I think that makes the makes those poles and they it's a T seven aluminium they're incredibly tough. There's another brand also in in Holland that I think does and it's Travel Chair in the US I think that, that, that those are very good brands. Then you get the ones you buy on, on um, Alibaba. Buy it, you, you buy it once, you're going to buy it again after a yeah, while. We would just advise check that the so, aluminium grade yeah. they're using is. And, and is, the plastic uh, fittings yeah. is supposed to be a 96 fitting, otherwise they will break. Right. So if you're going to invest in one of them, get it. Our chairs are now eight, nine years old. Mine is older than yours. Yeah. Now it's, now it's been going for a long time. Yeah. And yeah. The, the fabric is still there. But it's a it's a treat to, to have camping chairs. Is a, we, we've actually possible. used our um, chairs more than just camping. Uh, even sometimes in hotels, uh, the, the chairs can come in handy. Sometimes, you know, looking outside and it's so beautiful, and maybe there's not a place to sit, but there's a beautiful tree. We would take the chairs out and, and go for it. We actually have used our chairs in riverbeds as well, because uh, a lot of time you just want to go sit and cool off, and we found it so nice. You just Park the chair in the shallow water, and uh, then you've got a nice uh, place to cool sit place and to appreciate sit. it. <laughs> right, and you set your beer beside you in the cold water as yep. it goes by. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. Oh, yep. when are we going camping? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys make me want to get this chair because I've heard it. Like I've seen the Helinox chairs, and people talked about them for years, but they're they're pricey, is what it is. Yeah. Obviously, oh. you know that. Jim, um, Jim, they're all, you know, they're all pricey. The thing is this. So four by four people, and, and we have them in South Africa. I mean, it's our it's our it's our families. We also they, four by four they people. They also feel they would drag a five to seven kilogram chair with them in a four by four. Now it chair. sounds like nothing, but you've got four chairs in there. It fills fills up half the, the pickup. <laughs> These little chairs, they're so small. You yeah. chuck them in the back seat. They will last a lifetime. So if you pay, I don't know what a, what Elinox now costs. Let's say hundred dollars, I, I think. You will, you, if you look after a thing, it's a lifetime chair. You, you'll write it in your, your will and testament to give to your child. <laughs> <laughs> we actually, when, when we are back home in South Africa, we, we utilize ours there as well or, or there as well. Because even if you get guests and you're just sitting out in the garden and you quickly want to drag a chair close for somebody, that's so it's more than just a normal camping chair. You, yeah. you can use it quite often. But can you imagine if four by four people, if they, if they use motorcycle and bicycle, People's packing philosophy style. 
man, they'll, they'll pick up in the back of it. Oh, you, yeah, you have so much. <laughs> you have so much. But this is this is a human thing. When we have space, we tend yeah. to fill it, don't we? Nice. Oh, yeah. Nice. That's why it's so hard not to fill your panniers all the way. It's so hard You're not right. to stuff everything. Because like you said, you, you, you managed to stop yourself from doing it. But the common one we all deal with is, I'll just yeah. throw this in. Oh, I might need that. I'll throw that in too. That doesn't take much weight. That And next thing you know, you've got yourself an, a huge uh, amount of gear there that's weighing a ton and you never touch it. And the thing is that you get to a point where you then start to decide, I have to get rid of it. You don't know what to get rid of because yeah. maybe in case I need it. Maybe yeah. in case I need it. Yeah. But, but I must say, the, the way we're riding, I, I sort of appreciate it because I'm very conscious of adding weight to my motorcycle because we like going a little bit more off-road on, on the, uh, off the beaten path. I can immediately feel if I've got more weight on my motorcycle if we start riding technical. Um, and that's what I appreciate about our bags. Uh, we can assemble it that I've got most of the weight lower down on the bike. So I try and uh, I get very cross if anything in the top bag is getting heavy because you can feel it when you maneuver. Um, so I must say that also keeps us in check a lot. Mm-hmm. Do you use um, tank panniers as well as a tank bag? No. No, no that, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You, 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 you think, oh, I need a little bit of space. You put tank tank panier bags on, yeah. then you fold them. Yeah. Then you, oh, man, I need a little bit of Slippery space. slope. Slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> you, you fill up stuff quickly. <laughs> so don't give yourself the option to take more don't gear. Don't tempt yourself. You don't need it. Yeah, I think mate. if most of the guys on the hard panniers go to softer panniers, they'll they'll actually realize everything that's in the top bag can actually fit in the bottom mm-hmm. side because it's more flexible and you can pack easier. The, the mm. other the, the thing the bad thing about camping is this: you can't if you want to go on a camping trip or you want to do it like we like we do it, you you can't really go very minimalist where you only have a, a sleeping bag and a, or a when you go long term, so now you be, now you have to have the sleeping stuff, the bed, the a tank, little kitchen, a little kitchen, the chair. So suddenly a you go for if it rains. So suddenly <laughs> your camping gear grows to whatever it needs, the minimum to be yeah. a camping ready type of thing where you can do it constantly. If you're going to camp for one month, it's, it's it's a different story. You can leave a lot of stuff behind, and if you know that you're going to camp in, let's say it's sunny, minimum rain, no problem. Mm-hmm. But the moment you you, you, you go through South America, you go for you, you pack or unknown for a, areas, or yeah. unknown areas you, you pack for a bit of um, um, unforeseen uh, stuff. Now this thing's growing again. So the, the camping thing is is either or. It's either you take everything or you don't take. I anything. think you also have to be careful. And Mechnes and I sort of said whatever doesn't fit in his 60 liter bag, because on my bike it's the 40 liter with the more heavy equipment. On his, it's 60 liter, but it's much lighter than the 40 liter because a sleeping bag just takes more space and a, a mattress, but it's not necessarily the weight. And um, a, t- a tent is a, is a tent now, if you yeah. want to go uh, a good brand tent like MSR, s- stuff like that, you pay, I think, $1,000 for a tent. Yeah. Now, that's eye-watering expense. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is really... But you can find them sometimes, and, and we bought another tent now at RAI, their um, bargain bin. The thing somebody used it probably for two or three times, took it back. I think we scored four hundred bucks on the thing. So you you don't have to buy a brand new thing, but buy a good quality tent because the thing will last you for yeah. a long time. But it, I, and saying that tents are expensive. Yeah. There's just no getting. And if you want a technical tent which packs light, like 
uh, and, small, yeah. and small where they use the fabric. I, I, I think it's more a TPU fabric that they use for the floor. Now it's a 9,000 meter uh, water column. They're expensive. But yeah. again, if you... If but you, even if you take that thing, then now yeah. you've got the argument with yourself, you might need to have an extra top because it's not so thick at the bottom, it might get damaged. But so, we, we yeah. use a top in any case. Yeah, we, we try and double up a lot of functions. So one of the things is we don't have covers for the bike, bike covers, we use the top, but the top double up for rain and for the bottom of the tent. So it's more dual function. So instead of uh, carrying an extra uh, tent sail or top, and two bike covers. We just have this one top, and we utilize it for. Would you say top? That is that the that's not your fly for the tent. That's another tarp. No, it's a normal. normal. The top is a normal. Uh, what is those pack? Um, you, it's a square. It's a five by four meter or three by three meter. You buy them at, at outdoor shops or not outdoor shops at uh, Home Depot yeah. or hardware shops. So just a plastic type tarp, like that woven yeah. plastic. Yeah. That, that woven yeah. plastic, they're cheap if they, if they make all the thing away. You get different thicknesses, so we don't go to, for the too thick one because it becomes a bit heavy. Yeah. But we go for the medium one and it normally lasts us over a year, I think, or a year or two. And, yeah. and because we use it a lot, we pull it over the bikes to hide the bikes to use it for a little top for the tent, uh, over the tent, under the tent. We make shade out of it. When, so. I, when I work on the bikes, change tires, I quickly throw it in the, on that, the ground yeah. to, to Spanish and stuff just don't disappear in the, in the soil. Right. And Reduces. you don't feel, because I know the little um, ones that they sell that comes, the footprints. the footprints, they are quite expensive. Yes, they pack a lot smaller, uh, but they do get damaged quite easily and they're not that nice if you yeah. want to make shelter out of them. So and if you, stay just, in a, if you stay in a place where there's thorns, yeah. your blow up matches four o'clock in the morning, that is when you're going to eat the ground. But that's it. We, <laughs> but that's it. We are actually testing a bit of material to see what other type of materials we might be able to use to do the dual function as what we use the top for. So watch the space. You never know. There might be a new product coming out. No, <laughs> Ooh, no, I to, well, no, so I wanted to, to say to you, I'll speak and explain the kitchen to you. That's also another science thing that we went through for a couple of years to find stuff that packs flat, lightweight and that kind of stuff. But else we can explain that to you better than I can. Yeah. So we, we, and again, it's a, a, a area that changes often depending on where we travel and what is available. So for us, it's really, I mean, if you're going to camp, one of the things that's normally a problem is what we can eat. Now, if you, in the USA, uh, it's easy enough to stop at a, a, a subway and get a nice fresh sandwich or get something from the supermarket and you can eat. But when you're on a longer trip and you're in more uh, rural or off the camp. Camp, yeah, and, and you, you want to camp for more than one night, you actually have to have something to make food that's more interesting than just baked beans. So I try to carry something that is dual purpose that if we want to do a little barbecue we could uh, but that also can double up to make <laughs> to cook so my go-to is a, a, a fold a fold up little kettle that doubles up as a boiling pot this is the sea to summit once it's a one one and a half liter one and a half liter so it's big enough for me and mechness that i can cook some pasta or rice but we can also use it to boil water for coffee and what is nice about it is that you can use it in the airbnb in a hotel and so it doubles up it's always with us and then something to do eggs in so i like it Teflon coated surface because it, you don't have to worry too much about carrying too much cooking oils and stuff. 
So we would, Mechnas, when we were went through Africa, we knew we were going to cook a lot. And he actually had a plate, skillet. yeah, a skillet made for us that works with a, a, a what do you call it? Yeah, a belly grip? A belly grip. Um, and it, it just packed, he had it the size that it fits nicely into the side of our uh, bags. Uh, and we used that in Africa. So that was very good, but uh, we lost, we didn't manufacture more. So coming this side, I had to improvise because that one really took a lot of heart. In fact, we left it in Germany. It's still oh, so you get bike. yourself a pancake. Uh, yeah. So I bought, I think to buy a little pancake pan. And we, yeah, take the, take the handle off and we still use the belly grip. So, which means it's still packed small and flat. So if I take the little uh, egg pan or pancake pan, the kettle inside our coffee filter, it, that together with some of our food already just goes into one small pouch. So we, we, I don't carry a lot, but I do carry something that I can try and be a little bit creative when it comes to food. But but also a bit cheapskate. So. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they sell they, they sell this titanium mugs and, and plates and stuff, and they're super expensive. Now, I don't really and understand. Heavy. No, no, they, they're not heavy, but they're they lightweight. But the thing is, the little Starbucks uh, cup costs you two dollars. It's plastic and it weighs the same thing, and it yeah. costs two dollars. And and the coffee and, doesn't stay hot forever. You can actually yeah. drink it. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, well, and the great thing is too is also if you lose it, it's not the end of the world. It isn't like no, well, I just yeah. lost my two hundred dollar mug. Well, it, Mug, yeah, my RDI, yeah. yeah. And the other thing is, so you get this little fold-up uh, silicone uh, dog little bowls. We use them as, uh, you buy them at RDI for expensive, you buy them at uh, the pet shop. tractor or the pet shop for $5 <laughs> for two, something like that. So You're eating at a dog bowls. I'm eating at dog bowls. Well, that's, dog bowls. It's not dog bowls, it's soup and cereal. Dog soup and cereal? I want to hang on. A dog <laughs> soup and cereal? You got that at the dog food store? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you did say we cheapskate. <laughs> you must try it once. They so say try something once. And then, and then little plates and stuff, you buy Dollar General for, I don't know what, what they cost. Yeah. And, and they then, make good cutting boards. Yeah, you don't feel too bad if you use them to cut. Yeah, and there's a right. nice French brand of knives, folding knives. It's called Opinel. I'm not sure if I pronounce it. We call it, it a picnic knife. It's a picnic knife. It costs, I don't know, $12? And it's nice. And, $20? Yeah, it's like, no, it's cheap. It's, it's something you have to have as an overlander. But yeah, do you, and the, the, one of the, the nicest things that, that a long-time friend uh, told us uh, is that you get a titanium long stem. Is the right, right yeah, it's a spoon. So you you get at, it's, I think it's also the brand of Sea to Summit, but you can use, I've even bought wooden spoons, but I buy a spoon that is, it's almost like an ice cream length spoon, the long thin spoons. And we always have that with us because it, it's just if you need to, because you're cooking so close to the fire, it just saves your fingers a little bit. And then, then we have this, what is it, a 1.7 liter Stanley flask. Has been with which us is for, a luxury. Which yeah. is a luxury. It's been with us for a long time. It's nice you can make coffee in a thing, or if it's cold, you make some soup in a thing, and or, or cold water if you if you go into places and you, you want a bit of ice, we, we chuck a lot of ice in it. Yeah, th- this is the stainless steel version, right? Yeah, yeah. And where do you put that? That goes in my one of my panniers on the between the between spares. The spares the, yeah. I just but it's, it, we've actually had a, a, a pouch made for it in Bolivia. So even if Mechnus's capacity is a bit much and he can't get it in the bag, it's protected enough that we can actually just tie it with a rock strap to the top. Yeah, so it's got a bit bit more insulation 
just one layer insulation to it. I figured out that all the all this uh, flask thing is a is a bit of a I don't know it's nonsense because they all keep keep stuff hot for twelve hours or yeah, cold yeah. for twenty four hours. And then for the, for for uh, drinks we've got two fuel bottles, which is not fuel bottles. They the well, they fuel bottles, but they, they don't bottles. have fuel. In. They don't have fuel. In. The one is got whiskey, and the other one is got whatever moonshine that country makes. We always have a bit of that moonshine in the other one, just for the. So you're putting yeah, you're not you're, alcoholics, but <laughs> you're putting your alcohol in fuel containers. Yes, because if the police stop us and they say they have fuel or, or they have um, or a border post, you know, like in Sudan, you know, not allowed to take um, alcohol, alcohol into Sudan. I, I mean, seriously. So you can say, listen, this is fuel. You're welcome to drink it, but, you know, just leave me out of the... And if, if it's whiskey <laughs> and we have to demonstrate that it's for <laughs> cooking, <laughs> whiskey will actually whiskey, burn no. with our, our stove. No, it's burning. No, we have to, it's fuel for the, for the stove. You know, this is what I love about doing these interviews. Every now and then you get a tip on how to smuggle something across a border. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Hopefully no border officials <laughs> are just, tuning yeah. in. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think you never know, you know, maybe you make a border officials day for safety. Listen, you know, I encourage you to take a sip of this fuel. It'll make you feel happy. Put a smile on your face. Put a smile on your face. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So, any other any other uh, big tips that you've got that you things that you've learned that you do little routines or anything that you do that um, you've learned over the years? Jim, seriously, there's two things. And and when we had altering our first company, we we sold a lot of little barbecue grits and this and that and all this kind of stuff. Honestly, you don't need a lot to camp. You need good stuff, but you don't need a lot to camp. And there's there's two there's two things or two two aspects to this. Is the, the kit that's really serious stuff that you need to be good quality and you need to understand that they were lost. And then there's the fluff, like the plates and the, and the little dog walls and stuff. It, yeah, don't, don't overthink to, it. Don't overthink it. Don't go spend your money on on, on bottles and stuff that, that cost $100 because they had REI or whatever, fancy fancy brands and stuff. You know, keep it simple, keep it lightweight. And keep it fun. So yeah. we, we always make sure I'm on the food side and Mechna's on the drink side, but we always make sure that if we go camping, we've got something special. So I'll make sure that there's maybe a marshmallow we can put on the, uh, over the fire or a good chocolate when we lie in the tent and it's really raining hard. So we, we do take some nice treats and uh, so yeah, keep it fun and yeah, spoil had- yourself. Right. To give you an idea, in Africa, we carried the barbecue grit as a luxury and, uh, we actually carry two camping cots uh, because of all the thorns. And a lot of times we slept outside because it was so warm. Uh, we, when we come this side, we realize now we're going to carry a lot more warm stuff because it's colder weather we need to layer up. So we left the two camping cots and we just in, in made sure that we've got really good uh, sleeping mat. So, yeah, so in general, don't overthink it. Just mm-hmm. go and have fun. And we've got a small, we've got a D30 water uh, what do you call it? A stainless steel flask that's, uh, I think, an Australian brand that we put milk in. And for some reason, I don't know why, what this thing will keep milk oh, for two days. For two really? days, probably yeah. fresh before it starts to curdle. But it makes right. like milk, milk in his coffee. So we always carry a little bit of milk for. Yeah. Oh, so you do have some luxuries in there. You've got the milk. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it all depends where we go now. We I go think so that's what we, we like, uh, what we've done with the luggage setup. Is we, uh, Mechnes and I, when we started with the soft luggage, we always said, no, we don't want bells and whistles and stuff on the outside where people can fiddle and take stuff. But as we started traveling, some things you don't, 
do not want inside your bag. Like you don't want a bottle that can your roll oil, slowly oil, open oil. with milk oil, yeah, yeah. on your cycle oil. So we, we tend to now really love the, we call it little ox peckers, little bottle holders that you can fit anywhere onto the luggage. And those now hold our little fuel yeah, bottles. Easy, and, yeah, it's easy yeah. accessible. So you can, yeah. yeah, those are those are little pouches that you're strapping onto the outside yeah. of the luggage. Yeah, correct. Yeah, but again, like you know, to, to keep yeah. that slippery careful, slope because careful. you can pack <laughs> a lot of stuff in here. That's not necessary. <laughs> I already saw I can put two next together. <laughs> Oh, that's great, guys. Thank you very much. That, that, that's some wonderful tips in there and some good information. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Pleasure. That was Mignus and Elsa B. Olivier from Peaky Peaky Overland. Their website is peakypeakyoverland.com. We have that link as well as some great camping photos they've given us depicting some of what we've talked about and a bunch of other things of them camping all in our show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Now, remember, this is part one of our two-part series of motorcycle camping secrets from world travelers. Next week, we have rider skills. And the week after that, we come back and talk more about motorcycle camping secrets from world travelers. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. That about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Remember to stick around because we've got rider skills next week, and then the week after that, we come back to talk more about this with other people. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. But before you do, let me just ask you if you'd consider this. The show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. If you're not doing it already, we would love to get your support. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support. You can get like an Adventure Rider Radio sticker or a shout out on Raw, which reminds me. The other show that we do, in case you're not aware of it, is called Adventure Rider Radio Raw. It's roundtable talks about motorcycle travel. There's a group on there that talks every month well worth listening to it's very popular as well you need to find that anywhere you find podcasts just search for adventure rider radio raw or again go to our website adventureriderradio.com now the last thing i would ask of you if you could if you could give us a five-star review anywhere you find your podcast that lets other people or helps other people find the show we would really appreciate it anyway my name is jim martin thank you very much for listening i really appreciate it and i will talk to you next week This is Ali Pebbidi from the UK and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 